I invite you to turn in the scripture to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll be looking this morning particularly at verses 16 to 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. Follow along with me in your scripture as we hear the very word of God through the Apostle Paul. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thus far, the reading of God's word, I invite you to keep your scriptures open as we refer to the text throughout our message this morning. May I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through it you have given us not merely new life in Christ, At the beginning of our walk with you, but all throughout every day of our lives, you give us your word that we may know Christ better, that we may love him more deeply, that we may follow after him in steadfast obedience. So, Lord, may this word do that this morning. May it shine on Christ, that he may be exalted, high and lifted up, that we may love him and know him. Pray this in his name. Amen. Well, you are surely not unaware that the past 18 months have been difficult for the Church of Christ. Churches have been grappling with the ways in which they are to, uh, shall we say, navigate through the shoals, through the, the rip currents and the coral reefs of this pandemic. All, all the decisions that have been made and have been not made, and the ways in which uh, the church has sought to be faithful followers of Christ, but also good citizens of this world. And many churches have have found conflict among these things. They have uh, been torn about when to reopen at the beginning of the the pandemic, if they had to be closed at all. Were they going to have one service or multiple services? Were they going to require masks or not? Were they require uh, people in their churches to be vaccinated or not? Will they have a live stream? Will they stop the live stream? Will they continue with the live stream? Will they change communion? Will they have communion the same way? And some of these uh, were theological questions, of course. Others were perhaps more political in nature. Uh, what, are, what are your views of, of governmental authority, of science, of safety, of freedom, and all these, you know, all these balancing acts between these various things? And for some believers, the temptation has been Uh, Instead of viewing their fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ through that lens, 
through their status in Christ as the one body of, of believers, the body of Christ, we have often, sometimes, even perhaps I have done this, judged each other according to the flesh, as Paul terms it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One's, one's worldly status, for that is what Paul means when he says judged according to the flesh, like judged according to the standards of this world. Another person's status as a libertarian or a liberal, a politician or a pastor, how are we going to view this person? Not based on his or her status as the blood-bought lamb of the shepherd Jesus Christ, but through these worldly things. And our passage today is actually all about status. It's all about one's status, but not in the world. Paul says very clearly, we judge no long, no one according to the world any longer. That is not according to the flesh, but rather according to the spirit. He doesn't say that explicitly, but that is the contrast that he is making. So in this way, we'll consider our text this morning all about status. We'll begin first with believer status. The believer status in verses 16 and 17, not according to the flesh. We'll then see Paul's status as an ambassador for Christ, verses 18 to 20. And finally, we'll see our status in Christ, particularly Christ's status as the one who knew no sin, verse 21. So again, that's our status in verses 16 and 7, Paul's in verses 18 to 20, and finally Christ's status in verse 21. We'll begin in verse 16 by looking at the believer's status in Christ. You don't have to read Paul's letter to the Corinthians long. You don't have to get very far even into 1 Corinthians to know that that was a church obsessed with standing, obsessed with what others in the church thought of them and what the world thought of them. Even in this very chapter, Paul says early in verse 20, in verse 12, we're not giving you cause to boast about us, that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance. This was a church that boasted about the things that the world treasured, uh, one's status, one's financial security, one's even rhetorical uh, acumen, how well you could speak. And the church didn't like Paul because he wasn't perhaps a powerful speaker compared to the worldly preachers around them. Or earlier in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Uh, do, do we have to stand up for our worldly reputation yet again? Or earlier in chapter 1, verse 12, He says, our boast is in the testimony of our conscience. We believe, behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom. Paul says, you've got to get unhooked to that uh, treadmill that is always trying to find worldly status superior to the status of the person next to you. This is what it means to regard someone according to the flesh. Verse 16. Paul doesn't just mean the physical flesh, although that was part of it. If you were strong, if you were attractive, if you were young. But, but on, a, on a this worldly, horizontal plane, the things that the, the fallen world treasures, Paul says, we don't judge each other according to those things any longer. And you notice Paul even says we regarded Christ in that way. Paul says we we once regarded Christ in that way, referring to who he was surely as a Pharisee before coming to know the Lord. And think about how the world judged Christ according to the flesh. We shouldn't be surprised by this. It was 
predicted all the way back in the Old Testament in the prophet Isaiah that the world would judge Christ in that way and find him wanting. For Isaiah says in chapter 53 of his book that Christ had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hides their faces, he was despised. He was so hideous in his, you know, his suffering and death that men didn't even want to look on him. We esteemed him not. In other words, from a worldly perspective, according to the flesh, our Savior was a nobody. And so Paul says we esteemed him not. And of course, as you, as you know, in Paul's life, he even persecuted Christ's followers. But the question, of course, is what changed? Why does Paul say, I once or we once judged Christ in that way, but no longer? Well, if he was uh, just a worldly nobody, uh, you know, a carpenter or stonemason, uh, one who was uh, arrested, condemned, scourged or flogged, hung to a tree, placed into a stone grave. We know if that was, and Paul probably did believe before he was saved, that was the end of Christ's earthly existence. No wonder he judged Christ according to the flesh. But look at, look at the last word of the previous verse, verse 15. Why, why does Paul begin our text by saying, from now on, therefore, what has changed? Paul says Christ, not only for the sake of his people died, but what? He was raised. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. It changed Paul's perspective on Christ because on that road to Damascus, who did he see? Uh, not, not the lowly, uh, despised, and crucified Savior, but the glorious, resurrected Savior. One who, who had the glory of heaven shining even there on that road to Damascus on the eyes of Paul. That's why Paul can say elsewhere as he writes to the Corinthians, what? That Christ was sown. That means he was buried in dishonor, but what? He was raised in glory. He was sown in weakness, but what? He was raised with power. He was sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. That is that animated by the Holy Spirit. Paul says if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. That the, the cross and grave were not the end for Christ. If the first man, Adam, became a living being, Paul says, what about Christ? He became a life-giving spirit. Think about that. That's why Paul can say not only do we not judge Christ according to the flesh, but we don't judge others according to the flesh. Why? Because Christ became a life-giving spirit. Christ shares that eternal life through the spirit, that, that glory that he has right now with you and with me and with all those who know him in saving faith. Paul says, through the Holy Spirit, Christ has given us the same glorious status that he himself shares at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. That's why Paul can say what in verse 17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Esteemed and judged and reckoned not according to the things of this world, which are falling and fading and passing away, but to the new creation, that which will be uh, consummated when Christ returns, but has begun even now through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and your spiritual resurrection from the dead. 
Would you look at your fellow believer then? Would you look at those for whom Christ has died, those for whom you share this status as new creation people, as new covenant believers? Do you look on them with that status as one who shares the resurrection glory of the Savior, Jesus Christ? That same glory that blinded Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul says, you share on all of your fellow believers, not merely here, but around the world share. One crowned with honor and glory and resurrection life. One whose name has been written in bloody ink in the Lamb's book of life. One indwelled and, and sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, which Paul says elsewhere is the very mind of God, the mind of Christ. Friends, think about it. This world is expert at judging according to the flesh. This world is expert at slicing and dicing uh, the people, the population, you know, according to how much education you have, how much money you make, you know, categories of, of income and education, of victimization, of all these different ways to put people into various categories and then to rank them. But we reckon one another according to the spirit that one who has given us new creation status in Christ. Paul says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you judge your fellow believers in light of the fact that you will share that new creation status with them forever in glory? That when Christ returns and purifies and restores and redeems all things, the fellow brothers and sisters that you sit with now, you will fall before him and praise and worship. And that ought to change how you interact with us and each other in the here and now. Does that mean that you will not have disagreements? Does that mean you won't have things to talk about? No, of course not. But it does mean that you start from that position of shared status in Christ. And nothing, no matter how many things you can disagree with, nothing can overpower that fact that you are one in Christ Jesus. Churches in the pandemic have had a difficult time. Churches in, in transition times without a pastor have difficult times. So as you, as you combine these two statuses, this would be a time when uh, this, the devil may seek to attack you and, and to pull you apart. But in Christ, you have that status that is shared, not according to the flesh, but according to the life-giving spirit. And as Paul delights in this truth, as Paul, you know, relishes and swims in the depths of this, he knows that this is, a, this is a truth that must be shared. This is good news that must be shared. And thus, it's no accident that in verse 18, Paul transitions to consider his status as an ambassador for Christ. Uh, Paul says that this is not merely something uh, to know amongst yourselves, but this is something that I have actually been sent by God to share Think about this. Why is that the fact? Why is it true that that Paul was given this status as an ambassador for Christ? Well, if you jump down to 19, you'll see why he says this. He says it is from actually verse 18. Sorry. All this is from God. Paul knows that this is a new status that we cannot bring upon ourselves. 
as this is not something that we can sort of band together and find something in common and make ourselves the new people of Christ. No, this is a status that was won and bought, as we'll see, by another. And this explains that, that entirely God-driven you know, driven nature of these verses. Did you notice that as I was reading verses 18 to 20? He says, this is from God, and God through Christ was the one reconciling us to himself. That God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That God was not counting their trespasses against him. That he was entrusting to Paul and his fellow apostles the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we ambassadors for Christ. That God is the one making his appeal through us. So he implores us to be reconciled to God on behalf of Christ. Now, you may wonder, we were talking about the way in which we reckon others, the way in which we reckon others, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. But, but now Paul seems to be shifted not to, not to our status before others, but to our status before God. And no, this is not some short, sort of a bait and switch. But we know that it's only when we are reconciled with our Heavenly Father does, does our status as fellow believers with each other make any sense. It is only when we are united uh, by faith to Christ and therefore made one with the Heavenly Father that we are therefore united with everyone else who is likewise united uh, to Christ. So if we, if we go out and, and try to you know, make a group for ourselves based on all these worldly things, we have seen uh, the division that Paul says that made even in the Corinthian church. As I belong to Paul, I belong to Peter, I belong to Apollos, so on and so forth. No, it is through our shared reconciliation to the Heavenly Father that that status as the one people of God is secure and is made. And in fact, if you think about it, the world can get on board with a lot of that horizontal, can't they? You know, the, the world loves to talk about peace and love and even forgiveness and getting along. But the world is totally impotent to bring about those things on its own. And that's why Paul must say that through Christ, the Lord, God, was bringing about reconciliation. You ask your non-believing friend about forgiveness and give, ask for, you know, the basis or the reason. And they'll give you, you know, very pragmatic reasons. Well, it helps, you know, it helps us get along and I'm going to forgive you because I hope you might forgive me one day. But, but there's, no, there's no overarching basis there's no way for that to really sink down any roots because it's solely on the horizontal plane. But Paul says we are reconciled first to our Heavenly Father through Christ. And therefore, we are one people of Christ. So what is this reconciliation? What is Paul talking about when he speaks to being reconciled with God? Well, it happens in two steps. First, it happens through Christ. Look at the text. Look at the things that through Christ have taken place. He speaks of reconciling. He speaks of making peace. He speaks of not counting trespasses, verses, verse 19. So in this way, Christ ha has brought about reconciliation through the Heavenly Father. But Paul then says, I have taken, as the apostle of Christ, I have taken that message of ministry of reconciliation, and I have brought it to the world. In his ministry of reconciliation, verse 18, 
He takes this message, verse 19, to verse 20, he refers to himself as an ambassador, one who takes the message of a king to a foreign land. So be careful as we read this. Uh, Some people, as they read this text, immediately put themselves into the we part of this text. They say, I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm the one who's going to go out and make peace in this world. But, But actually, Paul says that he and those with him writing this letter are the ambassadors of Christ. He says in the opening verse of the the book that he's writing with Timothy. So when he says that we are the ambassadors of Christ, he's actually not talking about us primarily. He's talking about the apostles and those in, in their fellowship as they were going out and preaching the message that Christ had given them, the particular calling to which he had given Paul, as we know, on the road to Damascus, as we've already spoken of. Uh, we're, we're not so much the ones uh, Uh, doing the reconciling as the ones needing to be reconciled. We are not the ones building the kingdom. It is Christ through his apostolic message that builds the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a ministry ourselves. But but we are ambassadors of Christ only in as much as we declare and proclaim and bring to the world the very message that Paul did. Paul was the one inspired by the Holy Spirit. So as ambassadors for Christ, we merely bring that same message as we preach the gospel of Scripture. And therefore, even today, you could say Paul is continuing to be an ambassador for Christ as we are careful and faithful to preach this message and no other. Our job is not to be an apostle. Our job is not to be the Messiah We take Paul's message and declare that. We take the gospel to the world. And through scripture, as we have seen, God works. Because we have seen God is the one who brings about this reconciliation. God is the one who is making peace. God is the one who is not counting our trespasses against us. And we may wonder, how is that? How is it possible that a God who is perfectly holy, how can Paul just say in verse 19 that he doesn't count our trespasses against us? without explaining how or why or in what way that is possible. Well, he does. He does, and it's the climax of our text in verse 21. For we have already seen our status, not according to the flesh. We've seen Paul's status as an ambassador. And then finally in verse 21, he turns his attention to Christ and his status as the one who knew no sin. And as he does so, he actually provides the content of that message that he brings as an ambassador. Paul knows, uh, Paul knows he cannot close this portion of his letter without laying out clearly the foundation of all that goes before. Our status, our hope of eternity, uh, the way in which Christ has been able to bring forth the new creation, the forgiveness of sins. And I'd say in doing so, he lays out the gospel as clearly as anyone or anywhere else in all of Scripture here, right, in verse 21. He starts again with God. He says, For our sake, the Heavenly Father, God, made him who knew no sin. You notice he doesn't actually name this one who knew no sin, but I've already read once from Isaiah 53 this morning, and if you know the rest of that text, you know how clearly Isaiah prophesied the sinlessness of Christ. The one who knew every temptation and yet fell prey to none of them. 
the one who was tempted directly by the devil himself in the desert and yet did not once succumb to those temptations. Our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, he is the one who knew no sin. This was desperately necessary for us, for us to have a perfect substitute, a perfect sacrifice. That's why Paul goes on to say this one who knew no sin, God made to be sin. Doesn't mean he made Christ sinful. No, of course not. But he reckoned Christ to bear all the sins of us. Think about that. The perfect one, the righteous one, the one who knew every temptation yet did not succumb to even one of them. Willingly took on the status of guilty for all of them. For each and every sin that each and every one of his people have ever committed and ever will commit. Willingly made to be sin. The most pure and righteous of men, the only perfect man to ever live, became, you could say, the most sinful person who ever lived because on that cross, every sin of ours was placed upon his shoulders. But why did he do that? Paul, again, goes right on to tell us that we might become the very righteousness of God. Think about that. The very right character of God as revealed and required in his law and demonstrated in his dealings in the world is now true of us as a gift because our sins have been taken away and that righteousness of Christ, that sinlessness has been given to us. What a transaction. What an exchange. What a trade. If you were a general manager of a football team, that is a trade that you would make every day of the week. (laughs) To, To give away all those sins and to receive in exchange the very righteousness of the God-man himself, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Think of that. The reason is clear. It was not our doing, but received because of the one who knew no sin. So we have to close by asking, is that true of you? Are you included in that great exchange that Paul has laid out so clearly in verse 21? Are you included in those who have not been reckoned anymore according to the flesh, but now may be reckoned as new creatures in Christ through the Spirit? Earlier I mentioned a few verses ago how when when Paul refers to we, he's not referring to us primarily. Then then how do we know he's referring to us now in verse 21? (laughs) Earlier he was referring to himself as an apostle, which we are not. Here he's referring to himself as a sinner. The question is, do you realize that that applies to you? You're in that we, you're in that group of sinners who desperately need that saving righteousness of Christ. For when we recognize that Christ, the perfect one, was made sin for us, all our pride should fall away. All our desire to be, to be considered and, and reckoned and esteemed by the world for all those things that really, at the end of the day, don't matter. For we will all pass from this world and we will not take anything with us. All the things that the world values and esteems because it's, it's seeking its best life now, because it will get its best life now, are nothing to those who stand in awe of the humility of Christ 
who considered all those things what? Nothing. But made himself obedient to death. Even death on a cross, on a cross Paul says in Philippians. So with that humility, we can now see each other as Christ does. As those who share his righteousness, as those who through his spirit share his eternal life, as those who as the first fruits of the new creation are those who can even now offer the praise to him that all creation will give to him when he returns and makes all things new. Let us pray for that to come quickly, that our status that we know we have now will be revealed to the world as Christ returns and calls us by his name and draws us to him forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you with eternally grateful hearts that you have not left us in our sin. But through Christ you have taken that sin away. Not just excusing it or forgetting about it or sweeping it under the rug, but nailing it through the wrists and ankles of your Son. That on that cross, cross, your righteousness was revealed, but not merely revealed, awarded to us who didn't deserve it, as Christ took those sins from us. Lord, may we marvel that truth may it humble us may it make us grateful may it make us grow in love for he who would do such a thing for us and therefore grow in love for others for whom he did that as well may this be true more and more of us as we seek to be your people in this world that desperately needs to know this message through christ we pray amen